Isn't God awesome? Did you miss that one? Isn't God awesome? Yeah, there we go. We're waking. It's awesome. Wow. Have you ever had one of those nights? A night you'll never forget? Well, this was a night like no other. It was a night of celebration. It was a night of feasting. It was a night of singing. It was a night of friends who gathered around and fellowship with one another. It was also a night of jealousy, of fierce competition, of betrayal. It was a night of grief and agony, a night of emptiness and a night of loneliness. It was a night of fierce defense and yet a night where some would say it was of cowardly desertion. It was a night of peace and a night of joy and yet a night filled with violence and mockery. It was a night filled with lies and deceit and yet honesty and love and truth shone through. It was a night where the proud and the arrogant stood tall and through all the noise and all the chaos that was going on came a sound that echoed through the atmosphere that would have felt like a deathly silence for Peter as the rooster crowed at second call for the morning. As Peter stands still, numb with emotion, everything that's going on around him seems to be frozen in time. What would have seemed like no noise, no movement around him, except for one lonely figure who turns his head and finds Peter in the crowd. The moment Peter and Jesus' eyes locked together, it was a night like no other. For the apostle Peter, it was a night that he would never forget. As the rooster crowed and the revelation hit him, that he had just done the very thing that he swore he would never do. Not once, but three times. And worse, in the space of a very short time. The thing that he swore hours before he would never do. That he would even die before he would deny Jesus. He now found himself overcome with grief, with hurt, with embarrassment. And is made to realise that he has just denied knowing or having anything to do with the Son of God. He just denied knowing the very man who had just prior confessed his love to, that not even death could separate him from Jesus. That very man who now stands before a crowd of people, religious people, people who should love him. No doubt he was chained for no other reason than control. They didn't want him to get away this time. He stands beaten having been punched and slapped and spat at. He would have had blood running down his forehead as he had spent the hours prior in agonizing anguish, praying to God, take this cup, but not my will, but yours be done. And the agony, it says in Scripture, was that, that his sweat was like that of drops of blood. He now stands being mocked, ridiculed, judged, beaten. And in that moment when the rooster crows, he turns and finds Peter. He knows exactly what's going on in the life, in the spirit, and in the emotion of Peter. And the scriptures tell us that as Peter now captures his eyes with Jesus, that he's overcome with emotion. That he, scriptures tell us that he leaves and he weeps bitterly. He sobs uncontrollably. Now, I believe Peter cries and weeps somewhat out of guilt and out of the revelation of what he has just found himself in and has done, denying Jesus. 
But I found over the last few weeks that God also told me that Peter wept more because of the unconditional love that Jesus showed him in that moment. As their eyes met, Peter loves Jesus regardless of what Peter's just done. And there's a, there's a part in Peter's grief and emotion that sees an undeniable love. Despite of what has just happened, Jesus looks at him and loves him. Jesus looks at you and I the exact same way. When we stuff up or we make a mistake and we find ourselves going, I can't believe I just did that. I can't believe I just said that. I can't believe I said I'd never do that. I said I wouldn't be here. And yet we find ourselves completely aware of our situation. And Jesus is standing there saying, look at me. I love you. Jesus stands there waiting for you and I to look at him so he can show us the unconditional love that he showed to Peter. He is, I am. Father God, this morning as we open your word and we look to the scriptures, the scriptures that point to who you are, God, we are so thankful. We are so grateful that you look on us with an unconditional love. That despite what we could ever do, there is nothing that your word says that would put us and stop us from coming to the love of Christ. God, we pray this morning as we open the word together, as we look into the scripture, we pray that we put our eyes solely on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, the great I am. We honor you this morning and may your name again be lifted up through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I want to unpack that story a little bit um, because as we go on in our series titled He Is, I Am, I believe it unpacks some, some pretty cool, significant uh, insights that we could take on board. As you know, we're looking at the series called He Is, I Am, where we take the focus off ourselves for a while and put the focus on God. Challenging series because I think one of the greatest challenges for us, and it's a great challenge for me, is that I could have easily loved the series to be I am, I am. Not he is I am, I am, I am. Because we are quite, to be quite honest, I am quite a lover of myself. We live in a cultural society where it's all about I, what I want, what I need, what I like, what I deserve, I, 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 focused. And to have a challenge where God is I am, it's challenging because we actually are quite a prideful people and I believe Peter through this shows us an element of his pride and yet how Jesus responds to that. So I want us to open up the, the word of God this morning to Mark 14. But I'm also going to be jumping through all four Gospels because each part of the Gospels give us an insight or a different view or fills in the gap a little bit more as we go through this night, this crazy night in history. So we jump into the story we find Jesus and his disciples are all gathered in an upper room where they're celebrating the Passover meal. Now, the Passover meal was one that is the, the disciples and the believers of God are called to remember when back in Egypt, the Israelite people were in slavery for 400 years, 430 years, in fact. And God calls them, it's time to be released. And he sends a series of plagues through the land of Egypt. And the 10th one was that of the death of the first, firstborn. And so those who believed in God and God called, they had to paint their lantels and their doorposts with the blood of a lamb. And when the spirit of death hovered over that night, 
It would come to those doors and it would pass by, it would pass over them. But everybody else, it says in the word of God, every home had someone die. Male, female, mums, dads, grandparents, children, and even the livestock. And so they're gathered in this upper room as they remember the significance of that moment, the Passover feast. And Jesus is, is in there with his meal. And Jesus gets up and it reads in John 13, verses 3 to 10. It tells, tells us that Jesus got up from the table. He gets up and in an act of demonstration that shows us the absolute nature and the love of God, he starts to wash his disciples' feet. This is one of the lowest jobs. If you know much about the, the history, they wore jandals. They walked through dirty, muddy streets. They followed where the livestock followed and the trail that they left behind. This wasn't a pleasant job, and yet Jesus was willing to show his disciples, this is how you love one another. And he gets up and he starts to demonstrate what love looks like by serving one another in the lowliest position at that time by washing their feet. Oh, but wait, here comes Peter. Oh, we have to love Peter. It's his turn to have his feet washed by Jesus. And Peter questions Jesus and says to him, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus' response to him is, says that, you do not realize what I am doing, but later on you will. Have you ever had God say that to you? We ever said that to God, God, I don't know what you're doing. God, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why I'm in this situation. I've got no idea what's going on. We love God hindsight, but in the midst of standing in a situation, we want foresight. We want to know what's happening. And God says, you will. That's a journey of faith. Knowing that our God says to him, it's okay. You might know, not know what's happening right now, but you will. God says to you this morning, you might not know what's happening at the moment, but you will. God is saying that I am, I am. I am the God who is faithful to my promises. I am the God who will work everything to good for those who love him. I am the God who was right here. I am the God who will never leave you nor forsake you. I am. And then Peter, Peter, Peter. Peter responds to Jesus and says in, in John 13 verse 8, you will never wash my feet. Now, I don't think Peter's been disrespectful here at all because Peter knows who's now kneeling at his feet. It wasn't that long ago where Peter declared that you are the son of God. And Peter's having this revelation that the king of kings and the Lord of lords is washing, going to wash my feet. That's a picture that Peter's uncomfortable because it's not right. It should be the other way around, shouldn't it? The king of kings should be having his feet washed, but Jesus is showing his love to his disciples that I want to wash your feet. And Peter stands there feeling a little bit unworthy. I shouldn't, you shouldn't be washing my feet. I should be washing your feet. John the Baptist said the same thing to Jesus at his baptism. Shouldn't, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. I'm not even unworthy enough to untie your shoes. Both men felt this element of unworthiness in the presence of God. Moses said the same thing to God as well when he's standing in front of the burning bush. God had just told Moses that he was going to use him to go back and redeem and rescue the Israelite people out of Egypt that had been in slavery for that 430 years. Moses then looks at himself. 
He sees, him, he sees his weaknesses. He sees his flaws. He determines his capacity and his ability. And he says to God, who am I? I'm unworthy. Who am I? And what God does to Moses in that moment, he takes those three words, who am I? And he flips it around and says, I am who I am. Moses, this is not about you. John the Baptist, this is not about you. Peter, this is not about you. Jamie, this is not about you. You, this is not about you. This is about I am. He is I am. See, pride will keep telling you that I am I am, and yet humility, when you walk in humility, will tell you he is I am. Do you know that you can still be prideful when you think less of yourself? When you start thinking about that, I'm not good enough, I'm this, I'm that, because pride is all about I. And whether you think positively or negatively, pride is still there. But when you know who God is, all that's gold. Because then you can stand and declare that you are more than a conqueror, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you are loved and that you are valuable, not because anything you have done, but because everything that he has done. I am the God of grace. I am the God of favor. I am the God of forgiveness. I am the God of mercy. I am the God of love. I am the God who conquers all. I am the God who has conquered all. I am. Everything that we get to stand and declare for ourselves is because God made it possible. He is I am. But then Peter gets all dramatic again with Jesus, just like last week's message with Jonah. Dramatic Jonah. Oh, I think Peter's going to have us run them with the money for that one. Because Jonah's, I mean, Peter's just as crazy. He tells Peter, because Jesus has said to Peter, unless I wash your feet, you will have no part with me. And what's Peter's response? Oh, wash everything then, Lord. Go ahead. And Jesus says to him, oh, easy, tiger. <laughs> Calm down. I only need to wash your feet. I've already washed you. You're already clean. See, some of us, at times when we stand there overcome with our grief and our revelation of what we've just done, we seem, seem to go, oh God, I need to be fully washed. And God says, no, I've already made you clean. I just want you to come to me and I can just wash your feet. It's not a big deal. But Peter, oh, Peter, Crazy Peter, easy tiger, gets a bit crazy. So they gather around and Jesus washes his feet and everything. Guess who's at the table? Judas. Ooh, dum, dum, dum. Judas, the one who had previously just gone to see the chief priests and sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. Judas, Judas, the man who had spent three years walking with Christ, seeing miracles doing miracles as he was one of the ones that was sent out. His love, his I am is, I am, I want that money more than I want God. And a moment prior to that feast, this gathering, he's off and he's gone to see the chief priests and he sold Jesus out. Judas is at the table. The one is going to betray Jesus. And while reclining at the table, Jesus tells them, tells them that, one of those that are sitting at the table with him was going to betray him. 
talk about a party pooper. They would have been sitting there having a great time of feasting. Jesus had just washed their feet. This is yay, we're having a great time. By the way, one of you is going to betray me. Oh, well, kill the mood. Thanks, Jesus. Way to wreck the atmosphere. But what a... And one by one, they all went to Jesus and said, surely not I. Every single one of them. Surely not I. Then Jesus, Judas's turn, sorry. He comes up. And he, this is Judas, who's sitting there, probably with a pocket full of gold coins. He says, surely not I. And I'm like, what, are you kidding? They could probably, Jesus probably heard you jingle up to him. I'm not... I wouldn't be me who's going to betray you. All the disciples have got no idea who Jesus is talking about. They've all walked with him. They've all seen him. They've got no idea who it was. They're all challenging with themselves, but probably at the same time looking at each other. Mm-hmm. Not me. And here Judas is trying to pull the wool over everybody else's eyes, but not God. God knows. I just imagine Jesus in that moment saying, Judas, hold Judas. I knew what you were going to do before you even did it. I know what you're about to do before you've even done it. In fact, I knew what you were going to do before you knew what you were going to do. And Judas is sitting at the table with Jesus. God is aware of everything you do and have done. And he still wants you at his table. So you can't pull the wool over God's eyes. You can't fool. You can fool man, but you can't fool God. And Jesus' reply to Judas's, surely not I, was just a simple, yes, it's you. Imagine the look of the horror of the other disciples' faces as, as it was Judas, one of, the, one of the brotherhood. It would have been that whole, oh, I knew it was Judas, that guy. You know, it was, how stink would a Judas have felt in that moment that he was the one who Jesus called out his sin, called out his betrayal in front of everybody. Here's an interesting thought. And it's just a side note, something for you to meditate on for you. What was Jesus' response to Judas at that time? He simply broke bread with him. Didn't say anything, didn't do anything. Jesus Jesus had already washed his feet Judas had been made publicly aware of his sin, and yet Jesus said, now it's time to gather for communion. Let's break bread together. Challenging. Carrying on the evening, Judas had now left because after they broke bread, Jesus had said to Judas, now you better go and do what you want to do. It's okay. You go and do what you need to do. And Judas had left. And I want to, oh, we got to Mark finally. So if we open up our Bibles to Mark 14. Verses 27 in the New King James Version I'm going to read from this morning. Jesus said to them, because there would have been, ah, well, I can only imagine that little snickering comment beside the next one. Did you believe it was Judas? Did you know it was Judas? I could never do what Judas did. There's always something funny about that guy. Never really trusted him anyway. Always had this thing about money to Judas. Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Oh, then comes who? Peter. Peter, Peter, Peter. Peter said, 
to him. Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. Talk about an arrogant statement from Peter. All, all the other 10 disciples that are still sitting in the room, even if all these guys are going to be made, made to stumble, I will not be made to stumble. I'm Peter. I'm the rock. <laughs> oh, Jesus must just have a, have a party in his head. Talking about putting yourself on a pedestal, but I wonder if this is what started the, the conversation around the table about who was the greatest and who was the least, because that t- conversation happened at that table as well. Wow, who's going to be the one that sits next to Jesus? Who's going to be the best? Well, I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. Yeah, but he called me to walk on water. You know, and there was this, this discussion and the debate, and Jesus just squashes it. It's Jesus done. No, it's not about any of you. <laughs> I am. This is about me. So Jesus goes on and says to him um, that they will all be made to, decide, uh, to stumble, and Peter says, well, even if all stumble, I won't be. Jesus replies to Peter's outburst of prideful confidence in himself, and he says, I tell you the truth that today, yes, even tonight, over the next 12-odd hours, before the rooster crows twice, everyone say twice, twice, before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. Well, Peter's not having any of that. And he replies again, even if I have to die, I will not disown you. I'm the rock. (laughs) And then every other disciple started to pipe up and say the same thing. Yeah, what he said, I'll never disown you either. And Jesus just smiles. We have to be careful what we say never to for God. (laughs) No? I think God sits in heaven sometimes waiting for you to say never because he can then go, cool, physical challenge, accepted. Let's see how that works out for you. And I've tried praying, prayers, with reverse psychology. God, I will never go to Alaska and shoot a moose, see all the wonderful sights. I will never go with my beautiful wife, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, hoping that he would say, well, let's see how that works out for you then. Let's go. It doesn't work either. I've tried. But sometimes you can say never and squash the very thing that God wants you to do because your words have power. There's a little song that Five Over the Mouse sings in America's Tale. says, never say never. Be careful how you say never to God. I think he loves the challenge. <laughs> right, where am I up to? Now we know that Jesus now takes his disciples to Gethsemane. They've sat there, they've feasted, they have started to, uh, they've sung a song. Kind of reminds me of a movie. The Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit. You know, when they're all standing there gathered around the feast and the fire. Isn't it beautiful? They're about to go on a quest, go on a journey. They're singing this group of men. See, I'm a little bit dramatic. (laughs) I'm like Peter and Jonah and just about everybody else in the Bible. And they head off to the Garden of Gethsemane. They've had their song, they've had their sing, and we know that Jesus uh, calls some of them to just wait in a certain place, and he calls Peter and John and James a little bit further on, and he asks them to stand guard, stay watching. 
Because Jesus knows what's about to happen. Okay? And Jesus goes off and prays and he spends some time in anguish and agony as we heard a little bit earlier where he is pressing to God to saying, God, if you, want to, if you could any other way take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Even Jesus knows that God is I am. And he surrenders himself. If you were to have a look at uh, the Gospel of John in chapter chapter 18, verses 2, it comes to the time where Judas is, is, uh, is approaching. And it reads, Now Judas, who had betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, said Jesus. When Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of I am. And Jesus stands there and says, I am. And they fall over. They get back up and they ask the same question. Or Jesus asks them again and says, who is it that you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I told you that I am he. Jesus answered, and if you are looking for me, then he says, let these other men go. Well, that was the cue for the other remaining disciples to flee. Poof, they vanish. They do not want to get caught up in this ravelry. There's only one that remains now, apart from Judas, and that's Peter. Peter, 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 who had already determined in himself that he's never going to deny Jesus. He's the rock. And Peter, in his great uh, flamboyantness, draws out his sword and cuts off the ear of one of the men standing there. And Jesus is like, easy, tiger. Put your sword away. Peter's outburst of great protection from his king, for his Lord, for his saviour. And Jesus tells him, this is not how it's going to be done. And Jesus picks up the ear, puts it back on the man. And then down in verse 12, it says, Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him into the high priest's home. Verse 15 says, it's Peter, Simon Peter, and another disciple, which uh, scholars would say it was Judas because everybody else has fled, were following of Jesus because the disciple was known to the high priest. He went with Jesus into the high priest's court, but Peter had to wait outside the door. So the rabble go in with Judas and Jesus, and Peter waits outside the door because he wasn't going in. And the other disciple who was known to the high priest came back and spoke to the servant girl on duty there and they brought Peter in. Now Peter is in viewing distance. He's able to see, he's able to hear, he's able to know what's happening to Jesus. And if we read in Mark 14 verses 55 through to 65, it gives us an account of what happened to Jesus in that space. It says, now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. 
Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy, the, destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even then did their testimonies agree. And the high priest stood up in midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? Why is it that these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answering nothing. Good lesson if you're getting false accusation. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. The name that God was given to Moses when Moses stood at the burning bush and asked, Who do I say sent me? I am who I am. The name of God, which is blasphemy to even say. And Jesus declares in front of them that I am. You will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of our witness or witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to deserving of death. And then some began to spit on him. They blindfolded him. They beat him. They struck him in the face. They spat at him. And all the meanwhile, Peter was watching what's happening. Now, Peter was below in the courtyard in verse 66, and one of the servant girls of the high priest, the guard who Judas had said to, whispered quietly, this is Peter. Bring him in, because he's with him. Introduces him into the environment. She's the one who says to him, you also with, with him, this Jesus of Nazareth, but he denied it, saying, I never knew nor understand what you are saying. And then Peter went out, to the porch, and a rooster crowed. This was mind-boggling as I researched this because the rooster was going to crow how many times? Twice. Peter's first denial, a rooster crows. God's always going to give you a way out. God's a way maker. That's who he is. I am a way maker. I am going to provide you with the opportunity to not go forward with what your flesh wants you to do. Remember, Peter's just seen what's happening to Jesus, and he's not, I don't want to get caught up in that. Jesus, Judas, uh, Peter's now self-focused on I, and a rooster crows, and he doesn't even hear it. I find that fascinating. There are many times in my life where I've heard a rooster crow, and I've continued on, only to come to the point where I have, now done what I shouldn't have done and the rooster crows a lot louder and I'm sitting there going, oh my goodness, I couldn't believe I should have stopped or I should have not done when I knew back then what God was whispering to me, gently letting me know, whoa, you're heading into dangerous territory. May you ever be open to the first rooster crowing or the Holy Spirit speaking, whoa, go no further. A little while later, Peter stood again. And the same servant girl stood beside them. This is one of them, but he denied it. And a little while later, those who stood beside Peter again said, surely you're one of them. And Peter starts to call down curses on himself. He starts to get angry. He starts to swear that I do not know this man. And the rooster crows. And all of a sudden, 
Peter finds himself in that moment of silence where all he could hear was the rooster crowing and the, the revelation of what he's just done. And he turns to find Jesus. Jesus standing there looking at him with the look of love saying, I know, but I love you. Peter's knowing that he's just denied God in order to save himself and yet here stands Jesus willing die, willing to die to save Peter. That's the love of a God. That is a who he is, I am. The story doesn't finish here for Peter, fortunately, and it doesn't finish there for you and, you and I either. See, we don't have to get stuck in our mistake because God's already washed you clean. When, when you make a mistake and you are wondering, Jesus is just inviting you, look to me. I have unconditional love. Let's wash that thing clean and let's carry on. When you're standing in the aftermath of a wrong choice or a wrong decision, when you're standing there feeling hurt, rejected, lonely, know that he is always watching. Know that he is there and he loves you greatly. He is, I am. He showed Peter how much he loved him by going on and dying for him. Not just for him, but for you and I. Not just for you and I, but for everyone. He loves us all. But the story, like I said, doesn't finish there for Peter because he didn't just die again, die for us. He rose again. He lives in us and he wants to continue to restore us and make us like Christ. Peter spends the next few days, no doubt, distraught, confused, gutted, a little bit feeling guilty as Jesus has gone to the cross, wishing, hoping, looking for an opportunity just to say, God, I'm so sorry. Jesus rose from the grave and then the ladies go down and see that the empty tomb is there. and They come back with a report to the disciples who are all gathered and they all think it's insane. They all think this is not a possibility, but not Peter. Peter runs. Peter wants to see Jesus. He's had a look from God that has probably just transformed his life in a moment, that when he stuffed up, God still loved him and he's dying to get back in the arms of Jesus again. So Peter runs. That the possibility that Jesus is alive, he's not gonna let anything hold him back. He's not gonna let anything stop him. But he doesn't find him. And over the next couple of weeks, Jesus appears to them two more times in locked up rooms, and we, we can read that story in the Gospels. And it doesn't say much about Peter's response. But a few weeks later, Peter is now, now what do I do? Well, I'm going to do what I always did, and I'm going to go back fishing. Peter goes fishing with his friends, and Jesus is standing on the shore. Jesus finds Peter exactly where he, left, where he found him the first time. He's standing there on the shore and he calls out to the men in the fishing boat and he says to them, have you caught any fish? And they yell back, no. And he said, well, try the other side. Well, that's worked before, so let's do it again. So they let down their nets and the scriptures tell us that they pull up this huge haul of fish, 153 large fish that they end up gathering. And then John, the, ba John, sorry, the one that Jesus loved, as he always likes to tell everybody, recognizes it's God and says to Peter, that's the Christ. Peter being Peter, jumps in the water, grabs all his clothes, jumps in and swims into shore where the rest go. 
easy tiger. It's just rowing. Peter's so excited that Jesus is on the shore and he can see him and he's chasing him and he wants to hunt him down because Peter just loves God and he knows that God loves him. Peter, funny old Peter. And he sits there and Peter and Jesus have this interaction. Now, I haven't dug deep into this this morning where Peter asked Jesus, oh, sorry, Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you. Feed my sheep. And then he asks him again, and he says, yes, we'll feed my sheep. And then Jesus asks the third time, and what does Peter's response? He gets angry, gets a bit frustrated, gets hurt, gets a bit annoyed. Three times Peter denied Jesus. No, no, then he gets angry. Bit of a characteristic trait of Peter. Don't push him too far because you'll start getting angry and frustrated. But I think what Jesus is doing here, because Jesus has restored Peter already, but I think what Jesus is inviting Peter Peter into is a, is a bit of self-healing. That recognition that, yeah, no, God, push come to shove. I love you, and I would die for you. And later on, Peter does. Peter stands there knowing that he is standing beside the God who is I am. Peter is no longer I am, I am. Peter is who is I am. He knows that I am the God who heals. He knows that he is the God who restores he knows that I am the God who sets free. He knows that he is the God who delivers. He knows that he is the God who is a way maker. I am a God with grace. I am a God that shows mercy. I am a God who knows all. I am a God who loves all. I am a God who forgives all. I am who I am. Is that who God is for you this morning? Is your story, I am, I am, or is it he is, I am? Because we get to stand in the greatest victory that Christ has ever done for us. And we can confidently stand and say, I am a child of God. I am victorious. I am healed. I am whole. But we did nothing to earn it. God did it all. So I hope your story is, I am. Surrender to God. I am a child of God because he is my I am. I want to pray this morning. Father God, I thank you that you are a king of kings and the Lord of lords. That through the life of Peter, you've shown us your humility to wash his feet. The desire and the love to go to the cross, to be beaten, to be mocked, to be spat at, to take on the offense, to take on the sins of the whole world for you and I. And God, I'm thankful that you're always standing there looking with eyes of love, unconditional love. So no matter where we find ourselves, the situation we're in, the struggle we're facing, the uncertainty of what is going on, you're standing there looking at us with unconditional love. What a mighty God we serve. God, we declare in this place that you are the great I am, that we put you first above all, in all, and through all. You are I am, and you are working for our good. We honor you this morning. And we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.